there is the hope for the world. There's hope for you right there. Please be seated as we take a look at the Word. And we are right in the middle of a series called Overcoming Broken Humanity, Replacing Six Deadly Emotions. Now, let's go back. And all the sermons are online. If you want to go back and check up the podcast, they're right there. What we're talking about is that uh, God created us. He created us good. But that goodness wasn't because we were good in and of ourselves. Goodness only comes from God. Remember, Jesus was asked, you know, oh, good teacher. And he said, why do you call me good? The only one that's good is God. Now, of course, that was kind of a little inside joke because he's God. So he knew he was good. But we don't have goodness apart from him. It's not like God created us good and we could walk away from him and we would still be good. Goodness comes from him. Just like we told you a couple weeks ago, this room is filled with light. Only because it's in good relationship with the light fixtures. The room doesn't have light in and of itself. Remove those light fixtures, turn them off, and the room is dark. That's the way we are. We're created to be in a relationship with God, and that's what makes us good. But that relationship was broken when humanity turned its back on God. And now what we have is a broken humanity. And that broken humanity, one day we'll leave it all behind, and we'll be with the Lord, and we'll be where we're supposed to be. But between now and then, that broken humanity remains. We have to learn to overcome it. And it usually comes out in emotions, deadly emotions. We've been talking about six deadly emotions. And because, however, this is kind of a toe-stepping-on kind of sermon series, and I don't want you to walk away from defeated every week because all of us exhibit these broken emotions and deadly emotions, I want us to remember this. Remember, this is our passage. Here's where we always start, and we're going to try to end right here with this passage. Would you read it with me? Therefore, there is now. Stop. When is there no condemnation? When? When? Right now. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what emotions you came in here with. I don't know what happened to you this week. All I can tell you is now, right now, there is no condemnation. Let's continue to read this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Stop right there. Are you in Christ Jesus? Now, when I said there's no condemnation, that was kind of assuming you're in Christ Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ... Well, this passage doesn't apply to you right now. So I'm just going to ask you, please, don't leave this place until you know Jesus Christ, until you're invited to be part of your life, until you say, Lord, I, I just need you in my life. All That's all it takes. You confess with your mouth, Jesus the Lord, and believe in the heart of God, raised from the dead, you shall be saved according to Scripture. You want that condemnation removed? Right now at this moment, Jesus, I need you desperately. I can't do it on my own. I know I've blown it. I need you. And when you do that, then the now applies to you. Ready? Let's start it from the beginning. Here we go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Did you blow it this week? Given to one of those deadly emotions, the anger or the envy or the other ones? Well, you know what? Right now there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Okay, here we go. We'll continue on. Now, this is not a self-help kind of series. I'm not trying to tell you how to be a better person through your own efforts or some group that you're in. It doesn't work like that. We're, gonna, we're not going to learn how to control all of these emotions simply by positive thinking. Now, Scripture talks about positive thinking, but that's not how we get out of this stuff. Here is the central truth of this whole series. Ready? Remember this one? I want you to remember it no matter anything else you remember. Okay? The key to overcoming my broken humanity is fill power, not willpower. All right? Can you say that? Fill power, 
not willpower. Say it with me. Fill power, not willpower. You can't just say to yourself, stop being angry. It doesn't work. You can pretend that it's gone, but it doesn't work that way. The way to get rid of these emotions isn't to tell yourself to stop it. It's not your willpower. It's fill power in Jesus Christ. This is what Scripture says. Some of all, friends, I'd say you'd be best by filling your minds. Not emptying your minds. Not stopping. Filling your minds. And meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. You want to get rid of all those emotions? You can't just tell yourself to stop it. You replace those emotions. You fill yourself with what is good. All right? Here's a list of the things we're talking about. We're talking about filling or replacing our anger with compassion, our envy with contentment, our bitterness with forgiveness, our guilt with grace, our shame with identity, and our anxiety with trust. That's how you get rid of those things. You don't just tell yourself to stop it. You fill yourself with everything on the right-hand side. Compassion, contentment, forgiveness, grace, identity, and trust, and it pushes out all of those things. We've already talked about anger with compassion. Last week we talked about envy and how you replace that with contentment. Today, incredible. Today, we're dealing with this one. Bitterness with forgiveness. What a week to take a look at this particular topic. Because this week has been all about bitterness. What a week to see the effects of bitterness. Some things happen that may indeed be wrong and we'll let the the courts and everything else deal with the the two deaths in Baton Rouge and Minnesota. But then you see an individual who's so bitter over everything that he thinks has gone wrong. And in bitterness, he takes a high-powered rifle and opens fire on a peaceful demonstration. And the the ironic thing of, of this whole thing is that many people would see the relationship in Dallas between the police and the community as one of the better ones and improving. Of all the places to do it. To be so angry and bitter over perceived slights and difficulties. And the danger of bitterness is incredible. So much so that our our elected leaders and our appointed leaders know it. This last week, the Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, did she call us to obey law and order? Well, she didn't say let's follow the rules, but this is what she said. She called for calm and urged Americans to ready, get ready, reject the easy impulses of bitterness. When even your leaders outside of the church recognize the dangers of bitterness and see where it leads. And you know this is something we've got to deal with. The world recognizes the negative impact. I was online, of course, and doing some research like I do for all these things and just found a couple of little things. For instance, take a look at this one. This one says, I like it. Let your past make you better, not bitter. Isn't that great? That's a good, not bad. Write that one down if you like it. Because all of us have leftovers from our past, and you can be better or you can be bitter. 
Bitterness affects our health, poisons our relationships, leads to desperate and tragic actions, and it rots our very souls. I saw this one too. Take a look at this. It's interesting. If you're bitter, that means they got the best of you. If they got the best of you, that means they won. Don't let them win. Just move on. Even the world says, you know, you just got to move on. But you know what the world doesn't tell you? Doesn't tell you how to do it. Doesn't give you any help to do it. Just says do it. You know, you should do it. Just do it. Fortunately, we don't live by cute sayings from the world. Fortunately, we live by the Word of God. And the Word of God does a little bit better job. Not just of telling us the dangers of bitterness, but actually telling us how it is that we move on, how we replace that bitterness. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's start right here. Two steps to overcoming our bitterness. Ready? From the Word of God, two steps to overcoming bitterness, because let's face it, right now, stop. Some of you are bitter, aren't you? Some of you brought it with you. Some of you are looking back on what happened last week or last month or last year or last decade or last century, whatever you want, and you're bitter. And it's still, it got you, man. It just got you. Because that's the thing. Bitterness is something you want to try to avoid, but once it's got you, you know what? It's got you. And you can't just say to yourself, stop it. It doesn't work. Now, here we go. The first step, and we're to your sermon notes now, accept this truth. Now, let's, let's just stop right there. Okay. I'm going to share with you right now from this pulpit, one of the greatest life lessons you are ever going to learn. And if you haven't learned it yet, you're going to learn it right now. This thing is, I want you to learn it. I want you to live it. I want you to teach it to your kids. Because if you can teach this next life lesson, we're going to look at the Word of God in just a moment to see that it's true. You're going to help your kids so much overcome their bitterness. It's a short life lesson. Anybody guess what it is? Here it is. This is life's lesson. Life's not fair. And did you know that most of your bitterness comes because you don't believe that? Life isn't fair. It's where almost all of our bitterness comes from. Look back. I didn't deserve that. It shouldn't have happened. Why me? I was poorly treated. They had no right to do that to me. It shouldn't have happened like that. I should have had more. And every time what you're saying is, you know what, life's not fair. It's not fair. This isn't fair. It's not fair to happen. It's not, it's not fair what they did to me. It's not fair what they said to me. It's not fair how they treated me. It's not fair what happened. It's not what's fair what didn't happen. It's not fair. It all comes down from this kind of thinking. My life is not going the way that I think it should, and somebody better do something about that. That's uh, the root of bitterness. Something has happened in you. And as soon as you begin to think that way, you begin to fall into discontentment. We talked about that last week. You hold on to it very long, and it grows into bitterness. I'm going to show you a very bitter man from Scripture who is really upset because life isn't fair. And he was the king of all Israel. Take a look at this. Solomon. So I hated life, he says. 
the book of Ecclesiastes. Only read that book if you're really happy, because that's a downer. Unless you get to the very end. If you get to the very end of the book, it's okay. But between the beginning and the end, man, it's a downer. So I hated life, because the work that's done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I toiled for. He's the king. He's got it all. Because I must leave them to one who comes after me. I can't take it with me. I earned all this stuff and I don't even get to keep it. Let's move. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will have control over all the works into which I poured my efforts and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair because life's not fair. This isn't fair. I work hard and I work hard and I have to give it to somebody else. I don't know what they're going to do with it. Life's not fair. So I just, my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. You know what he just said? Life's not fair. It's not. And it really ticks him off. Been there? By the way, that's the message of the book, the whole book. Life's not fair. The only thing that you can really do is trust God. That's it. I just gave you the entire synopsis of the book of Ecclesiastes. Life's not fair. All you can really do is trust God. That's it. The whole book is just about this doesn't work and I do this and it doesn't. Life's not fair. But you know what? We want to believe that life's fair. We really we want to believe that life's fair. What we want to believe is that when something bad happens to somebody, they deserved it. We want to believe when something good happens to somebody, they deserved it. When something bad happens, well, it's because of, you know, it's the karma idea. And actually, we want to believe that. The disciples wanted to believe that. I'm going to prove it to you right now. The disciples wanted to believe in the karma idea. That if something bad happens, it's because that was a bad person. And by the way, don't tell me you've never thought that. Haven't you ever seen some poor, broken, gone through the slums or whatever and said, yeah, but they deserved it. There are a lot of people living in the slums don't deserve it at all. It's just where they were born. And when you're born there, you know how tough it is to get out of there? Not because they deserved it. The disciples come to Jesus, and of course what they want him to say is, you know, life is fair. Because what they tell him about is the time that they just heard that there were a group of people worshiping in the temple, and Pilate, for whatever reason, actually sent in some soldiers and killed those people who were, while they're worshiping. He mingled their blood with the blood of the sacrifices right there in the temple. And they bring this story to Jesus. Now, the reason they bring it to him, and we know this from Jesus' reply, I'll show that in a moment. What they really want Jesus to say is, don't worry about it, it won't happen to you. They were bad people. That's why it happened to them. But it won't happen to you because you're not a bad person. That's what they wanted him to say, and I'll prove it to you right here. When they brought that story to Jesus, this is what Jesus answered. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? Whoops. You know what he just said? Life's not fair. They didn't suffer this way because they were bad. They suffered this way because life's not fair. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. 
This is not what they wanted him to say. They wanted him to say, don't worry. They deserved it because then their thinking would be this way. Okay, they deserved it because they're bad. I'm not bad. Nothing bad will happen to me. That's how we want to believe. That's how we want to think. And then Jesus doesn't leave it there. (laughs) He moves on. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all others living in Jerusalem? Because that's what we want to think. Well, the Tower fell on them and they died because they were bad people. They deserved it. Something, God was punishing them for their sins. But since I'm not a sinner, he won't punish me. And so, whew, man, I don't have to worry about it. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will. Do you see what he's saying? Okay, first of all, life's not fair. And you got your mind focused on the wrong things anyway. Believe me, there is something a whole lot worse than having a tower fall on you. There's a whole lot worse than living in a world where you're not treated fairly. Everybody lives in that world. But you know what? There's something a whole lot more worse than that. We call it eternity. You miss eternity. You know how long you miss it for? Eternity. Worry about that. Focus on that. As long as you want to focus on whether life is fair or unfair, you're going to miss the whole thing. Let's keep our eyes on the prize. Life's not fair. Keep your eyes on the prize, people. And it's all about knowing Jesus Christ now and forever. Now, have you got that so far? Life's not fair. Teach that to your kids. Accept it. If you haven't got that one, the second step is going to be almost impossible. But if you're ready to move on from life's not fair, if you've accepted the fact that life isn't fair, and by the way, if you want to come to me later on and, and, and give me a list of all the ways you were poorly treated, write them down on a piece of paper, and I'll sign it for you in the name of Jesus Christ and say, okay, you weren't treated fairly, uh, they, they treated you poorly, it didn't happen the way they should, I get that, I acknowledge that, the church acknowledges that. So what? Life's not fair. I've known great people who suddenly found themselves in the midst of incredible pain and anguish. I've known great people, loving, gracious, marvelous people who died so young, sometimes from cancer, sometimes from just a foolish act. And I have known some creeps who lived to a ripe old age. is not fair. Here's step two. Ready? Second, replace your bitterness with forgiveness. You cannot will yourself out of bitterness. It cannot happen. Once you have moved to that point of where bitterness has overtaken your soul, you can't just say, stop it. It's gotcha. You can't get rid of it. The only way to move it out of your soul is to replace it. Push it out. And the only way to push it out is with forgiveness. It's not willpower. It is... One more time. It is not willpower. It is... Bingo. That's how we overcome our broken humanity. Fill power. Fill yourself with... Even the world knows this, okay? I'm going to show that to you right here. I saw this other, and this is another little cute saying, okay? Unforgiveness is choosing to stay trapped in a jail cell of bitterness 
serving time for someone else's crime. The people and the things that you're bitter about probably don't even know that you're bitter. They've moved on with their life. They don't even understand or realize what's happened. You're the one who has trapped yourself in this jail cell. It's incredible, isn't it? It doesn't make any sense. Yet we do it. How about this? As I was doing research again, because you get in and you try to find out what psychologists have got to say about the whole thing. Ready? Virtually every writer who has weighed in on the subject of bitterness has discussed its ultimate remedy in the terms of... This is not a church website. This is a secular website, right off of Psychology Today or something like that. They're not going to acknowledge Jesus Christ, but did you see what they just said? The ultimate remedy is forgiveness, for forgiveness alone enables you to let go of grievances, grudges, rancor, and resentment. It's the single most potent antidote for the venomous desire for retributive justice poisoning. You can tell this is you know, one of those academic sites. They love those long words. Justice poisoning our system. And if this impulse hasn't infested you physically, it has at least afflicted you mentally and emotionally. So, and now, this is interesting. Learning with or without loving compassion to forgive your violator. Do you understand what they just said? See, this is what we think forgiveness sometimes is all about. You need to walk up to that person. Forgive you so much. It's so great to have a great relationship with you. I forgive you. He said, you know what? No. With or without that loving compassion. Just let it go. Those people probably don't even know you're bitter about what they did to you. And they don't need to know that you've forgiven them. Sometimes we do that on our, you know, call somebody up and say, I've been angry with you for 10 years, but I want you to know that I forgive you. What? You know why you did that? Because you wanted to rub it in their nose and their face. Hey, but you, you, I've been that. But I am so magnanimous. I now forgive you. God bless you. You know what? He just said, "Let it go." Whether or not you have that great emotional experience, or you just walk away from it, this is how it's going to be done. It facilitates your recovering from that wound that has been kept alive and even nurtured from the venom you've synthesized within you. I appreciate that, I mean, because it's true. But can I tell you, they're a little late coming to the party. This is what God said thousands of years ago. Although do not, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger. Stop just for a second. Did you grieve this last week over the bitterness displayed by one individual as he murdered five policemen and shot someone. Did you grieve over that? That was nothing compared to the grief my father felt over it. Did you ever think that our bitterness would grieve God? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the... Get rid of all bitterness. We hold these things when we act on them. And it affects us in our health, in our spiritual life, God grieves over what it's doing to us and then every now and then what it does to the people around us. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. And then he says, here it is, because remember, it's not just stopping it, it's replacing it. 
once you're in that bitterness, you can't just say, okay, I'm not bitter anymore. It doesn't work like that. You're going to have to push it out, replace it with forgiveness. And be kind and compassionate. Doing what? Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. There it is. That's how you push out the bitterness. You can't just say stop it. You have to forgive. It's fill power, not willpower. So in the few moments that are left to us, I want us to really look at this, what the Word of God has to say about, okay, how can we be filled with forgiveness? Once we're at that point, once we've got that bitterness going on, how do we do it? There's a difference between what the Word of God and the secular society. Secular society will say, stop it, don't do it anymore. Boy, I knew that already, right? I didn't need to be reminded. The Bible says, here's how you're going to do it. Through Jesus Christ. Ready? Here we go. First of all, you have to experience the joy of continual forgiveness. And I'm not certain that many of us really got this concept. We understand the, uh, the joy of being forgiven, but sometimes we put that in the past. I say, well, when were you forgiven? Well, 40 years ago, I knelt at the altars and I confessed my sins and I'm forgiven. Really? What about now? What about here? What about today? What about yesterday? What about tomorrow? What about at this very moment? I'm using the word continual forgiveness. Sometimes we think of the forgiveness of God as just a, a momentary time kind of thing. You know, 20 years ago I was forgiven, and a couple months ago I was forgiven. Forgiveness is something that happens when we come forward to the altar and we confess a sin, and man, we're forgiven. Scripture doesn't really describe forgiveness that way. It talks about a continual forgiveness. I need the forgiveness of God at all times. Continually washing who I am, washing my soul, washing my mind, washing who I am, will be, and have been. This is what the Bible says. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all... This is, I hate to pull Greek on you, but this is put into a tense that talks about continuity. Put it this way. If we continually walk in the light, if that is our lifestyle, if that's the way that we live, not just do it occasionally, Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, whatever, but if we continually as a lifestyle walk in the light of Jesus Christ, just as he is in the light, then we will continually have a fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ will continually purify us from all sin. It is continued forgiveness. But then he says this, if we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves. He's writing this to the church. He's not writing this to the government. He's writing this to the church. Oh, you think you don't need the forgiveness of God anymore? Except occasionally. Or you got that one wrong. All the time. You want a great, wrong, all-standing relationship? Well, I'll tell you what, here's how it happens. You continue in that great relationship with God, and that great relationship with God continues then to forgive you because that's the way it works. And if you say, well, I don't need the forgiveness of God at this moment, I'm fine. Well, you know what? Maybe you don't understand. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Then he goes on to say this. But if we confess our sins, Jesus, I need you all the time. There's never a moment I don't need you. I confess continually. I need you. Continually. I can't live without you. I don't want to live without you. I can't live my life without you. I can't be successful in life without you. I don't need you occasionally. I need you every moment of every single day. 
if we continually confess our sins, and sins doesn't mean because you've robbed somebody or beat them up. It just means going your own way, doing your own thing, turning your back. I can't turn your back, my back on you even for a moment. I need you all the time. He's faithful and just and will forgive us continually our sins and pure. You know what? If you can't really experience forgiveness, or you can't really experience forgiveness and then withhold it from somebody, or you can't do it. It just is impossible to, to really understand the joy of being continually forgiven because you've messed up so many times and you really need him all the time, and yet at the same time, withhold forgiveness from someone else. If you are not able to forgive someone else, I guarantee you it's because you do not understand that you yourself have been completely and totally forgiven. This last week, one person, don't even know who it is yet unless it's been revealed recently, one person won the Powerball jackpot for $540 million. Now, how do you think they reacted? Do you think the very first thing they did is get a hold, call up their, their nephew or whatever, somebody they'd loaned 10 bucks to and said, hey, I just won 500 By the way, you owe me 10 bucks. pay up. They just won $540 million. They're not worried about somebody who owes them 10 bucks or even 100 bucks or 1,000. Jesus told a parable about that, didn't he? We won't go there. You can look it up some other time. You know, one of the reasons we withhold that forgiveness is because we just haven't really accepted it in our own life. Said, I am continually forgiven, continually forgiven of my sins and my brokenness my way of thinking and the things that I do. And once you understand and experience the joy of continued forgiveness, it's so much easier than to say, okay, I forgive you as well. And if you can't accept it, then of course that's why you're bitter. That's why you're holding it back. That's why you're still in that's not fair mode. Because you really don't comprehend that you're forgiven. But here's the second step to really... Be filled with forgiveness to, that's going to push out our, our bitterness. And it's just simply this. Don't let my past define my present. And that's the real pain of bitterness. Okay? It's, you're bitter because of something that happened. I can't change what happened. God can't change what happened. You're bitter because of something back there. And it wasn't because of something you did. We don't generally feel bitterness over things we do. We feel what? Guilt. Shame. Joy. Remorse. But we don't feel bitterness over something we've done. We feel bitterness over something that's been done to us. Or something that wasn't done to us. And it could be last week, or it could be last year, or it could be a long time ago, and we just won't let it go. And what happens is we allow the past to define my present. And like we just said, it's crazy because the person or the thing that you're bitter about probably doesn't even realize what they've done. And even if they did, maybe they wouldn't even care. They don't even know. And yet here you are locked in that bitterness. This is what the Bible says. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. Okay, that's what we used to be. you got a choice now. You can define yourself by what you used to do, and if you do that, then you're going to walk around feeling all guilty and, oh, I'm such a terrible person, because that's what you are. But then he goes on to say this. 
But when God, our kind and loving Savior, stepped in, He saved us from all that. He removed it. God's gift has restored our relationship with Him and given us back our lives, and there's more life to come and eternity of life. He says, you know what? Some of you are feeling the guilt and the shame over things that you did. Stop it. It's done. It's past. Do not define your present by your past. Some of us are bitter because life isn't fair and we didn't get treated the way we needed to be treated. We think we should be treated. And I guarantee you weren't. I promise you you weren't. I agree that you weren't. But you're letting that define you today. It's crazy. You've got to let that go. I thought about breaking into the song of Let It Go, but I figured that probably you've heard that one enough, all right? There we go. And then you have to remember this, one final thing as we get ready to wrap this up. Okay, I know you've been mistreated. I agree you've been mistreated. I'll agree, I'll sign it, I'll just testify you were mistreated, but then I'll look at you and say what? Life's not, it's not, I'm sorry. I know you were mistreated. I don't, I'm not going to try to tell you that, oh, no, no, you were treated. I guarantee that in times of your life you were mistreated because life's not fair. I understand that. But you're holding on to it. And when you hold on to it, you know what you're really holding on to? You're holding on to a hurt. You're hurt because of something that happened. And that hurt then generally turns into one of two things, either a great depression or a great anger because you've been hurt. But write this down because this is huge. Through Jesus I can overcome any hurt. I know you weren't treated well. I know you weren't. But you can overcome that through Jesus Christ. You can't overcome that through positive thinking. You can't overcome that through drugs. You can't overcome that through self-medicating. You can't overcome that hurt except through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, you can overcome any hurt that you have faced. He can bring healing in any hurt that you have faced. And when that healing comes... The bitterness disappears because when that healing comes, the forgiveness flows out and the bitterness goes away. Take a look at this as Paul is writing to the, to the church at Rome. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Because that's the, that's the real key right here. Here's why we have the answer to bitterness in the world and the world doesn't have the, bitter, the answer. That's why the, the elected officials and those running for office and the government do not have the answer for bitterness because they don't have Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the solution. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution? This isn't fair. But it's what happens. Or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written. You want to see how unfair life is for this person? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered to be sheep to be slaughtered. Now imagine a lifestyle like that. Where your whole life and whatever you're doing, it's, it's almost like you're a sheep led to slaughter. I mean, things just keep happening one after another after another, and it's not fair. Then he says this. Oh, no. And all those things, you know what? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. All right, I'm going to get through every single one. It isn't fair. God isn't going to change it. I know it's not fair. I wasn't treated poorly. I mean, I wasn't treated the way that I should be. You know what? In Jesus Christ, I'm going to overcome that. In Jesus Christ, I'm going to go beyond that. In Jesus Christ, I will be healed from that hurt. In Jesus Christ, I'll be able to forgive that person because I need continual forgiveness. I will be able to give continual forgiveness. And in Jesus Christ, I'm going to have healing even from my deepest hurt.
And that pushes out the bitterness. As we understand the joy of being forgiven. The joy of even extending forgiveness. And we know that one day, nothing's going to separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Not even all these things that have happened to us. Not all the unfairness that we've gone through. One day we're going to put it all behind us. And we're going to go someplace where we don't have to worry about that anymore. I want to tell you about the one person in the Bible who probably had more right than any other to be bitter in how he dealt with it. Who do you think that would be? And it's not Jesus in this particular case, all right? Who? Joseph. Joseph. Tell me about Joseph. What happened to Joseph's life? Sold into slavery by who? By his brothers. Oh, isn't that a lovely talk about a dysfunctional family? (laughs) Show up there. Which was better, they were going to kill him. They were going to kill him. But one of the brothers said, no, let's not kill him. That's, That's going a little too far. Let's just sell him into slavery. What happened? What happened when he was sold into slavery? He became actually, uh, uh, worked in a man's house called Potiphar and actually turned his, his uh, finances around. And what happened there? He was falsely accused by who? Potiphar's wife. About what? Adultery. What happened to Joseph? Now Joseph, there he is. Okay, now he's in prison. God eventually brings him to a position of second in control of all of Egypt. And guess who he meets? His brothers. And they don't know it's Joseph. They think he's long gone. They don't recognize him at all. They come because they're starving to death. And Egypt, where Joseph is now ruling as second, has all the food they need. And what happens? He reveals, there's a long story there, you can read all about it at the end of Genesis. He reveals who he is and There's a great party, and he brings his dad who is still alive. But here's what happens to the brothers. Eventually, the dad dies. What do the brothers think? Okay, Joseph was nice to us when my dad was alive, but now he's gone. See, these are people who sold him into slavery in the way that they think is they don't understand forgiveness. So this is what they write to Joseph. So they sent Joseph a message. Before his death, your father, it's funny they didn't say our father, your father gave this command. Tell Joseph, forgive your brother's sin, all that wrongdoing. They did treat you very badly. (laughs) The brothers send Joseph and say, I want you to know that your dad wanted us to forgive us. Are you going to do that? And he, he commanded you. You have to do it, Joseph, because... Your father commanded you to forgive us. Because they were afraid. This is the time that Joseph said, well, I've got you now, man. Dad's not around to see it. And I can do anything I want to to you. And man, are you going to pay. That's what a bitter person would have done. Will you forgive the sins of the servants of your father's God? What would you do? You got him now. You can do anything you want. You played the game before your dad and you've forgiven him. What do you do now? 
And this is what Joseph did. When Joseph received their message, what did he do? He wept. I can't believe he said it. Why would you think I would do something like that to you? You would do, you think that because that's probably what you do, would do to me. I understand. But like that, I forgave you long ago. I have no bitterness towards you. Then the brothers went to him in person and threw themselves on the ground before him and said, we'll be your slaves. Joseph replied, don't be afraid. Get up. Do you think I am God? The brothers didn't understand forgiveness. They understood bitterness. They would have been great bitter people. But Joseph was a better leader. All the experiences that he went through, he used for the benefit of the kingdom, for Egypt, for his whole family. He is the living embodiment of the whole idea that says you get better, not bitter. Because he trusted God through the entire thing. Was his life fair? Nope. Was it fair to be sold into slavery? Nope. Was it fair to be lied to and thrown into prison? Nope. Life's not fair. But instead of bitter, we are better. So here's a choice. You know it's going to come down to a choice, right? Okay. You can't will yourself out of it. You can't do that. You're going to have to replace. If there's bitterness in your life right now, you can't just say stop it. It won't happen. It won't go away. You can't do it. It's too late. It's gotcha. You're going to have to replace it. And there's only one way to do that. You've got to forgive you got to let it go. It doesn't mean that your relationship is going to be restored. It doesn't mean you have to have this great big emotional experience. It just means the chains that held me down, the past that has got me by a, an, an ankle bracelet that will not let me move any farther, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to cut that now. And the person to whom I'm even tied to doesn't even know. But I will not let it hold me down. And I will forgive because I need continual forgiveness in my life. And as Jesus Christ pours that forgiveness in me, I'm going to pour it right back out to you. And if you brought bitterness in here with you today, it's the only way it's ever going to go away. Father, Oh, the enemy would love for us to remain in bitterness. He does such a great job of reminding us how poorly we've been treated. Father, some of us, if we can't remember the kindness in the past, boy, we can remember every slight and every hurt of that time that somebody just treated us so poorly or someone else got more than we got. And Father, the enemy brings that to our minds and we just stew over it. And it isn't fair and it isn't right. And then the next thing we know, Father, bitterness has taken hold of our soul, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, we need your help. Father, please, let us push it all out with forgiveness. Help us to forgive. Help us to remember we need your forgiveness continually in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, help us right now to remember that without you, we're lost. With you, we can overcome every hurt. We're going to be hurt. 
Jesus, you promised that. In the world, we're going to have tribulation. You promised that. But we're going to cling to the second part of that promise. You've overcome the world. Father, that's what we need this morning. Thank you, Lord. Well, those who are going to help us during our Selah and our, would you come forward?